0: really my goal is, uh, because we'll probably spend the next two Sundays on chapter 4, so today I'd like to finish up chapter 3. And by way of introduction to chapter 3, I just want to, let's stand and read together the first uh, 10 verses and then we'll cover from verses 11 through 18 in our teaching time. So let's stand together. Those of you who are able to stand, let's stand and uh, begin with uh, verse 1 here of Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that is, Ruth, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you, marriage, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known. To the man until he has finished eating and drinking, and then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, "All that you say to me, I will do." So she went to the down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And it happened at midnight that the man was startled. He turned himself, and there was a woman lying at his feet. And he said, "'Who are you?' So she answered and said, "'I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative.'" In other words, would you marry me? And then he said, "'Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning.'" and that you did not go after the young men, whether rich or poor. Let's pray. Father, uh, we do, Lord, thank you for this book, and Lord, how wonderful it's been, and Lord, how you are just teaching us much about yourself, and Lord, uh, many things about ourselves. And Lord, uh, we come this morning, Lord, recognizing our great need for you. Lord, we need you to work in us both to will and to do for your good pleasure. Lord, we want to be a people that are filled with praise and thanksgiving. Lord, just have hearts that are grateful to you, Lord, that you have saved us and that you have bought us, that you have purchased us, you've redeemed us, Lord, and you have forgiven us of our sin. And, and, and Lord, you have forgiven us and, and, and made us your own people. You have brought us under your wing, Lord, and um, and you want us to serve you. And so, Lord, um, we confess this morning that it's very easy for us to serve ourselves, to be selfish and to think only of our own needs and our own wants. Lord, um, we need your help to be Christ-like. So, Lord, we ask this morning that you would work in us to accomplish that, to conform us to the image of Christ. Lord, would you do that, Lord, by your spirit and by your word. We ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. amen. You all can be seated. Well, last week, you remember we spent a lot of time talking about Boaz and spent a lot of time talking to our young men, and I'll again this Sunday be talking to our young men and our young ladies and our older men and our older ladies. That means everyone over 18, older, okay? And we were talking about... Boaz's integrity and this situation and you remember Boaz and Ruth are in a very tempting situation that Naomi has put them in Ruth has bathed and she's put on her midnight allure perfume and she's put on her best garments and she's gone down to the threshing floor and under her mother-in-law's instructions to try to get her a husband to get her some security you know the harvest is about ready to come to an end and she's no longer going to be gleaning in boaz's fields and she may have to go to other fields that maybe boaz doesn't own to you know glean from the uh... you know from the vineyards or from the olive uh, groves or whatever it may be to to try to eke out an existence for her and naomi who've come back from moab and both have lost their husbands and uh... uh of course, Naomi was in disobedience and being there in the first place. And it's been a hard, difficult journey. And so anyway, Naomi is sent her there to secure a husband for herself. And uh, Naomi is very, uh, very much scheming and manipulating and meddling and uh, just getting way ahead of God in, in all of this. And it puts... Ruth and Boaz in a very tempting situation to have a woman there lying at his feet in this pretty much uh, it 's like being in a in a barn with a bunch of men at the threshing floor and and there Ruth is at midnight and uh, Boaz turns over he wakes up he 's maybe chilled by the night air, maybe Ruth has tugged the covers a little bit too far on her side like women normally do right and and um, he 's startled he 's awakened and Uh, you know, he says, who are you? I mean, he's not sure who this woman is because he didn't see her lie down there to begin with. And it would have been very easy for a man to take advantage of that situation. But Boaz doesn't take advantage of it. Uh, You know, he doesn't say, well, you you know, here we are, we're, we're living in the time of judges, you know, when... Uh, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, right? That sums up the book of Judges, that period of time when there was no king in the land, in between Joshua and in between, you know, the uh, uh, God appointing a king, King Saul and King David and so on. You know, we're living in this period of time where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes and everyone's just satisfying their flesh and, and, and never saying no to the flesh, So why not just seize the moment? Why not just enjoy it? I mean, that's after all, that's what everybody else is doing, right? That's what the culture's doing. That's what the world's doing. That's what all the my friends around me are doing. So why don't I just do the same thing? But Boaz didn't do that. Boaz, more than anything, wants to please God. He he wants to, and, and in pleasing God, he wants to protect Ruth. This young lady who has come to him and is pleading with him to be her kinsman redeemer. You're a relative of mine, and according to the laws of Israel that that God gave to Israel, uh, my husband's dead and there's no one to carry on the family name, so would you do that? Can I come under your wing? Can I come under your provision and your protection? And Boaz does what would have been very difficult in that culture and in this culture to do. He doesn't take advantage of the situation and use it as a means to his own enjoyment and his own pleasure. And and, and Ruth and Boaz are this... Uh, you know this great example that that is held up in the in the book of ruth uh, they walk contrary to the culture that they live in uh, they're a great shining example to all of us i mean you know we think we live in difficult times well those were difficult times too everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes it was then and it's now You know, we live in a sex-saturated culture. Well, let me tell you what, they did too. Maybe it wasn't as visible, maybe it wasn't as graphic, but the temptation was just as great. But Ruth and Boaz, both of them, I mean, Boaz even talks about her in verse 11. He says, you know, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you request for all my people in the town. They know that you're a virtuous woman. You're an excellent woman. they wanted to do what was right in God's eyes both of them did it wasn't just Boaz but it was Ruth also they wanted to live contrary to the world around them you know the world tells us that we evolved from animals right and maybe you can picture which one you think you may have evolved from But they tell us that we evolved from animals, so it's natural, you know, for us to behave like animals, right? It's it's natural for us to give in to our our base instincts, you know, our 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 animalistic uh, instincts, our 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 base corrupt behavior, you know, to do what just do what feels good, do what becomes instinctively to you. Put yourself first, you know. You only live once. You came from an animal. You might as well just act like an animal, right? And But the Word of God tells us that we're very different from animals, aren't we? You see, the world tells us one thing, but if we want to get it right, we want to be informed, we want to know what the truth is, we have to go to the Word of God. We have to go to our Creator. And He tells us that we weren't created from animals. But we were created in His image, right? We were created in the image of God with his his character his attributes and, and that we have an eternal soul i don't know what happens to animals when they die don't ask me please i don't know i don't know if you know if, if Fido's going to be in heaven and fuzzy the cat's going to be there i don't know will there be animals it seems to be i mean god created. there will be there but but i do know this that we have an eternal soul And I do know that we were created very distinct from animals. We're created in the image of God. We, we have a mind. We have an intellect. Uh, we have an eternal soul. We, we can think and we can reason. We, can, we don't have to act upon our fallen instincts, right? But, but we're created in the image of God. And we, we are... Uh, the crowning jewel of his creation. And he told us when he created us, this is before the fall, that we were to have dominion over the animals, right? We didn't come from the animals, but we're to have dominion over them. We're to subdue them, subdue the earth. And God put us in the garden there and and and, and we're to be his ambassadors, his representatives, his his image here on earth. And he never talked to the animals. He never had fellowship with the animals. He didn't redeem the animals when man fell, but he did redeem man and woman. You see, we are very, very distinct from animals, regardless of what the world tells you. And because we're created in the image of God, we have value, we have worth, we have purpose in this life it's not simply dictated by our animal instincts you know just to you know uh, we run around and we pant and and we you know give me some food give me a water bowl and 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 then we you know you, you you procreate and have a bunch of puppies or whatever you do and and we're good little lap dogs and hey life is good but we have value we have worth we have purpose we're Christ ambassadors here on this earth in a, in a fallen world. And so God created us in his image, and of course, we were marred from that image because of the fall there in the garden with Adam and Eve and when they disobeyed God and chose to listen to Satan instead of the serpent there in the garden. But yet, even in the fall, God showed and he displayed the worth and the value of. Of those he created in his image because he he goes to seek them out he calls them out in the midst of their sin and he brings them back to himself because fellowship has been broken with him and he longs for that fellowship not that he needs it but he wants that and he knows that we need that and he loves us and so he seeks us out and and he slays that animal there in the garden and the blood first blood is shed and the skins are taken off that animal and they're put upon man and woman to clothe them in their nakedness. And it's a beautiful picture of redemption, of rescue, of adoption. God bringing us back in forgiveness and fellowship with him again and beginning to restore us to the image that he made us, that we have value, we have worth, and we have purpose. And because we're created in the image of God and because he redeems us, that in Christ we can please God. We can live like a Boaz. We can live like a Ruth. We don't have to give in to the world around us. We don't have to give in to the pressures of the culture around us. We don't have to act like animals. We can be as image bearers in this fallen world, and we can live differently, and we can act differently. And Ruth and Boaz. If nothing else, you get out of this book. There's much more in the next two weeks. We'll 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 you will ring a lot of good truths out of this, but. Ruth and Boaz stand as shining examples of that truth. Here they are, both sinners saved by grace. I mean, Ruth, she's a Moabite. She's not even one of God's covenant people. She's a Gentile. She's not from Israel. And yet God somehow in his grace redeems her in this God-forsaken land of Moab. And he brings her to himself, and he brings her to Israel, and she serves The lord and and she lives for the lord and and she she doesn't at this point i mean she obviously doesn't know a ton about the lord she hasn't been saved that long but yet she's able to live above the fray to live above the culture her and boaz sinners saved by grace walking daily trying to rightly represent this one who saved them well boaz he's He doesn't want to do what's right in his own eyes he doesn't want to do what everyone else is doing he doesn't want he doesn't want to uh, you know be summed up with the phrase of the time of judges that every man's doing what's right in his own eyes but he wants to do what's right according to god's word and so ruth has come to him and said would you be my kinsman redeemer would you take me under your wing would you provide for me and protect me because I need a man who's going to do that and you're a close relative according to the laws that God gave to Israel I'm asking you to do that and he says do not fear my daughter I will do all that you request for all my people know that you're a righteous woman And so he's going to be Ruth's kinsman, the redeemer. He wants to do that. He wants to provide for her. He wants to protect her. He doesn't feel obligated. He doesn't feel manipulated. Even by Naomi's scheming, he wants to do this. He is willing and he is able. But there's just a small snag in the marriage plans here. Verse 12, he says to her, now keep in mind this is still at the threshing floor. Uh, He's just been woken up. He's responding with tremendous tact and grace here. Uh, rubbing the sleep out of his eyes he says but but you need to know yes i want to be your kinsman redeemer I, I want to bring you under the covering of my wing i want to provide for you i want to protect you but it's true there is a relative he says that, that i am a close relative however there is a relative closer than me in other words i'm not first in line ruth to fulfill this responsibility I am a relative, but I may be a distant relative. I may be a second cousin, third cousin, somewhere down the line. But there's someone else, and we never know this guy's name. Kind of in the Hebrew, you would say he's called, his name would be Mr. So-and-so. Mr. So-and-so is actually a closer relative than I am. And really, Ruth, we have to sort this out with him. We have to see if he's willing to fulfill it. Because if he's willing, then we're going to let him do it. But if not... I want you to know, I will redeem you. I will be your kinsman redeemer. I will bring you under my wing. And, and I just love Boaz here. I mean, he approaches this, this, this whole situation w- with great calm. No, notice what it says there in verse 13. He's told her, I'm willing to do this. There's a snag in the marriage plans. There's a relative closer than me. But in verse 13, I, Ruth, just lay back down. Stay this night. Nothing sexual about this. And in the morning, it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives, lie down till morning. Now, I would have a hard time imagining that Ruth just was able to lay down peacefully, wondering, okay, am I going to get Boaz or am I going to get Mr. So-and-so? And maybe she didn't even know Mr. So, or maybe she did, and he had a big wart on his forehead. I don't know. But I have a hard time imagining that it was, she was just able to, you know, you know how we are. We're, we, we think of all the different scenarios, don't we? And I'm sure she did, too. But he approaches this situation with great calm. He, it stands in such contrast to Naomi. He's like, look, this is the law. And this is the way we're going to do it. He doesn't say, he doesn't, he, he, he just he's the opposite of Naomi. No plotting, no scheming, no taking manner, No, Hey, Ruth, get up, let's go. We've got to go to Vegas tonight. We've got to make this happen. We've got to, we've got to tie the knot. We're going to go to the Elvis Chapel, and, and we're, going to, we're going to do this. But he doesn't. He approaches it with great calm and complete contrast to the way Naomi handles this whole situation. Notice also that Boaz doesn't play games with Ruth's emotions. He's clear about what his intentions are toward her. Notice what he says there. I want to read to you again in verse 13. He said, In the morning it shall be that he will, if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, well, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the lord lives he says here's my intentions my intentions are this that i will do all that you say i I want to take you under my wing i want to be your kinsman redeemer but there's a relative closer we're going to i'm going to handle this in the morning i'm going to go talk to him we're going to see what he wants to do if he wants to do it fine then if not it's you and me babe we're going to get married Let me say this to our young people, both guys and girls. Boaz was very clear about his intentions with Ruth. He wasn't stringing her along. This wasn't about his own, you know, selfish needs or wants. This wasn't just to get something for him. Listen, young people, if, if you're in a relationship, uh, you know, with someone else. Guys, if you're in a relationship with a girl, grow you're in a relationship with a guy, and and you have no intentions of marriage, then be, young men, I would especially speak to you this morning because you're supposed to be the leader in the relationship. That's your God-given role. And if you've got no intentions of marriage, if this is just a casual dating relationship, if this is just, you know, um, not a big deal to you, then be man enough to tell that young lady that you've got no intentions of marriage and be man enough to move on i'm not pointing my in specifically cuz i don't know <laughs> so don't don't take that personally you know for the, for those of you who are who are who are dating don't, don't don't date like the world i mean this whole idea that we see today in the world Uh, it's casual dating i mean it was probably that's probably what they did in the time of boaz in the time of jay everybody did what was right in their own eyes right it's hey i'm gonna i'm gonna go it's like a bunch of bees flitting around from flower to flower right i mean that's kind of what our casual dating is we just move from one to another and this isn't just a guy thing it's a girl thing too in this culture we just move from one to another to another to another and what you end up having having happen is you you begin to give your heart to people you begin to share with them parts of you know uh, deep inward things of 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 your heart your dreams your hopes and all that and then you got no intention or they've got no intention of of marriage that's not why they're dating they're just dating because it just satisfies the need They're their their animal instincts or whatever and then you get hurt and then you get hurt again And then you get hurt again, and then you pack all this baggage into a relationship. And then you spend the first five or ten years of your marriage trying to fix all the mess that you brought into this marriage. Don't don't date like the world. Casual dating. For Christians, and listen, parents, I'm not trying to overstep any bounds here when it comes to... um, the instruction that you're giving to your children. Some call it dating, some call it courting, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, And and let me say this to young people, uh, when you're still living at home, you you need to honor your mom and dad. Whatever the boundaries they've set up for you in in relationships between guys and girls, whatever age they're saying you should be dating or shouldn't be dating, um, makeup, clothes you're wearing, all that, your responsibility is this to the best of your ability as god enables you honor your mom and dad the lord will honor that you take care of that but as christians d- dating is dating is something that, that that is to be taken very seriously that this isn't a game it, it's a period of it's a period of time where you're trying to figure out is this person for me it, it, and you're looking at things it's not just about all fun you should be having you should be enjoying yourself i'm not saying you shouldn't go to the movies i'm not saying you know we shouldn't be playing video games together I don't, you know be careful of the carpal tunnel and all that but i'm not saying you can't have fun you should be having fun because if you can't have fun with them you got a long rough road ahead but there's bigger things going on than just the fun but you're looking at each other. Is is the reputation there? What what is their reputation in the church? What is their reputation at school? What is their reputation? You know, in in, in at work and, and the, if do they work? That's a big question. That's what we should be looking at. Do they work? I'm not talking about you're 16 years old. I'm 17, 18. Years. Do you work? 19, 20. You better be working. And I'm not talking about necessarily girls either. I'm talking about specifically young men. And we're looking at, you know, we're asking questions. Is the character there? What what kind of character qualities? How does their character line up with biblical character, the the character that God has? Is it going to be perfect? No. But is there movement? Is there growth? What I expect out of an 18-year-old is vastly different from what I expect out of a 38-year-old, right? But I should at least be seeing... Some seeds of those attributes of God in the person. Patience and gentleness and self-control and, you know, those type of things, right? The fruit of the Spirit. And and I'm asking questions like, are are their future plans compatible with mine? Here's a good question. You want children? Do they want children? That's big. Are they compatible? Because, you see, if you want children and they don't, you're going to have a very frustrated Marriage. And I'm looking at their work ethic. Do they work? Not just do they work, but how do they work? Do they complain about their work all the time? You know, and they complain about their bosses. Not, and they get me, I, I understand. We're sinners, we're fallen. Are we going to have days we do that? Yes. But, it, but is that the pattern of their life? That's what you're looking at. You're looking at patterns. You're not looking at one picture in the photo album. You're looking at page after page after page. What is the pattern of their life? How do they handle disappointment, pain, and suffering? How do they handle when things don't when, when there's a disagreement? Do, do they get in their car and just drive off, like I did when I was dating my I wasn't a believer. Okay, give me a break. But listen, if I had to go by this criteria, she, she should have thrown me back. Because I wasn't a believer, but neither was she, so anyway. The Lord was gracious and saved us. How do they handle it? I mean, do they just storm off? Do they punch holes in the wall? Do they value you, your opinion, your input? Do they care about what you have to bring to the conversation. Do they understand their God-given role? Does a young lady understand her role? Does a young man understand his role? Here's a big one that I think you ought to be looking for, this. Do they love God more than they love you? Because they'll tell you all day long, I love you. Oh, sweetie, baby, I love you. but do they love god you say well how do i know if they love god jesus said if you love me obey my commandments right they're they're seeking to learn how to figure out how do i live this out with the help of christ with with the help of the holy spirit how do i live in obedience to his word They want that. They desire that. Let me tell you how you know if they love God more than they love. Do they love the church? Ask. That's a good question. Do they love God's people? Do they love the church or do they sleep in church? That's a big question. Listen, if you want to know, come and ask me. I'll tell you who's asleep. (laughs) I learn not to look at them from week to week. And I, listen, I realize we all have our, our difficult Sundays, our weekends, where things have just been rough, and, and, and God's grace, you know, and He ministered to you through your sleep, and through the osmosis of it all. I get that. But we, can, if you want to know if that's their pattern, come talk to me. I'll let you know. And really, you know, the question is, is that you're trying to figure out in the midst of all that is, you know, where they are with christ are they growing in christ and, and can i see myself spending the rest of my life with this person because that's the question this isn't about hey well this is nice for this season and then i'm going to flit over here to this flower and to this flower no no but dating's about this it's about trying to see if this is the one that i'm going to spend the rest of my life with for richer for poor for better for worse in sickness and in health, till death do we part, right? And if that's not what you're dating for, kick him to the curb. I don't know how else to say it but that. But I like Boaz. Boaz is a, is a man that uh, I think that we strive to be like by the grace of God, don't we? Ruth, she's a woman we strive to be at be like by the grace of God, both of them more concerned with pleasing the Lord than they are with pleasing themselves. and Boaz, he just wants to do what's right, and doing what's right is protecting Ruth's reputation. Notice what it says in verse fourteen. So Ruth lay at his feet, so she listened. He said, "Just lay at my feet. we'll handle this in the morning." So she lay at his feet until morning, she arose before one could recognize another. And he said, do not let it be known. So he must told somebody, maybe the foreman you know, of, of his um, fields who was there at the threshing floor with him, he says, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Ruth's, uh, Boaz is concerned about Ruth's reputation, and he wants to protect it. Now, he said, well, why didn't he just, when all this happened around midnight, why didn't he say, Ruth, pack it up and go home? this is not the place for you to be well think about the time they lived in i mean you think about that you're going to send you're going to send someone out at midnight you're going to send a young lady out you know uh, at midnight and and walking on the street and there's no street lights and uh, walking through the countryside and you're going to go home i mean the chance of her getting hurt by an animal or a thief are great so he's concerned about her and so he wants to protect her is it the best of situations no it's kind of a messy situation there's some appearances there that don't look the best, but, but but that's the way life is, right? Sometimes life's just messy. It's not just black and white. Well, I'm going to do this. But then when you're in a situation, you're like, you know what? This is the best thing to do. So this is what he did. So he's protecting Ruth. You stay here till the morning, but he gets her up before everybody else wakes up because he's concerned about her. He doesn't want the other people the threshing floor to look at Ruth and to say, well, there's some... Yeah, she's a typical Moabite. There's another harlot from Moab, Moab, and, and you know that's what we expect of the Moabites, but he's going to protect her reputation. And so he gets her off before the sun comes up, before the rest of everybody wakes up. He's concerned about her reputation. And God's word informs his actions and his decisions. It's not just about loving God, but it's about loving our neighbor. And so he, he says, and my part of loving my neighbor is I'm going to protect her. I'm going to watch out for her. And so that means young men protecting the reputations of the young ladies that maybe you have intentions on marrying. That because I want to protect her reputation and I want to please the Lord, we're not going to go see Fifty Shades of Grade, we're not going to read the book. You know, I, I know that's what everybody else is doing. I know it's one of the best, you know, what, it's one of the highest grossing movies out there right now. But, but listen, and that's what the culture does. And I, I get that. And I'm not con, you know, I'm not trashing the culture. But, but God's people, we, we live above that. We have the ability because of the Spirit of God who lives in us to live above that and to please the Lord and protect the reputation of those around us. And it informs our decisions about what we do and what we don't do. It's not a checklist of things, but it's something that we, you know, anything that we're going to do, we begin to filter through. How is this going to love God, and how is it going to love my neighbor? And my neighbor is usually the person who's closest to me, right? Whether it's your girlfriend or your next-door neighbor or your children or whoever it may be. And once again, I mean, Boaz, I mean, every chapter, you know, chapter 2, chapter 3, I mean, he's a man who just kindness just you know permeates this man Uh, you remember back in chapter two he puts a uh, he blesses ruth with an ephah flower you know throwing it on her on her back and you know uh, that big old uh, costco bag of dog food that he put on her back and sent her home to bless her and and naomi and several weeks worth of food for this you know these two widows i mean what kindness he showed so once again in verse 16 there i'm sorry verse 15 he, said, he says to Ruth, he says, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. That was her garment that she had put on her. The cool night air. Bring the shawl that's on you and hold it. And, and when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley. And I don't know about yours, but most translations, that word ephah there is, it's italicized, right? Which means that it's really not there. But they tried to figure out the best they could, okay, what, what is the word that should go there? Uh, some some translations don't say ephah some say measures Um, some translations say scoops Uh, i don't think it's a scoop and i don't think it's a it's an ephah if it was six ephahs that's about 240 pounds listen she's a big bone girl if she can pack 240 pounds and uh, that's an asset in that culture but um Six scoops doesn't hardly cut it either. I mean, if you put little six scoops on her, you know, and, and, then, and then it says that he, he laid it on her. I mean, you wouldn't have to lay six little, sco- little scoops uh, on a woman's back, you know, but I mean, this is, this is to, to say that what, whatever amount it was, it was a pretty hefty amount. Most, most scholars, most commentators, think that it was probably about, about 80 to 100 pounds that they put on her. You know, when I first read that, I thought, well, she must have been a pretty, pretty big- bone girl to be able to uh, pack that much on her, and then I was reminded when my wife, uh, one of the places she worked for her uncle when we were dating, and she was probably about 18 years old, was a uh, a, a feed supply place uh, for farmers, and uh, uh, she prided herself in the fact that she could lift just as much as most of the guys in there, and she could easily pack a 100-pound bag of feed on her shoulders, and she was 115 pounds maybe, dripping wet. so. Maybe Ruth wasn't as big bone as I think she was, because if she was, and I know I'm saying bad things about my wife, and I don't want to do that. So So he lays I mean, just the kindness that he shows. I mean, here's more I mean, here's another you know probably 10, 12, 14 weeks worth of food for, for her and, and Naomi. Uh, you know think about this. This is his engagement ring to her, right? Here, babe. Let me put this on you. (laughs) Now, there's a fellow by the name of Herb Frost. He's a patent trader in New York. And uh, years ago, he wrote in a little Reader's Digest column uh, this little thing called What Not to Buy Your Wife. Guys, let me help you out here. He says, although the only person a man usually shops for is his wife, the whole experience is a stressful one. Many a man has felt extreme frigid temperatures for a long period based upon a poor, present decision. He says, as a veteran of these wars, I still don't know what to buy my wife, but I'll pass on to you what not to buy her. So here's his list of five things. Number one, don't buy anything that plugs in. Anything that requires electricity is seen as practical. Number two, don't buy clothing that involves sizes. The chances are one in 7,000 that you'll get her size right. And your wife will be offended the other 6,999 times. (laughs) Do I look like a size 16, she'll say. Too small doesn't cut it either. I haven't worn a size 8 in 20 years. It's a no win. No win, guys. Number three, avoid all useful things. The new silver polished advertised to say hundreds of hours is not going to win you any brownie points. Number four, don't buy anything that involves weight loss or self-improvement. She'll perceive a six-month membership to a diet center or gym as a suggestion that she's overweight. Number five, and lastly, he says don't buy jewelry. The jewelry your wife wants, you can't afford. <laughs> and the jewelry you can't afford, she doesn't want. So, But Ruth seemed awful blessed with this big load of flour that Boaz puts on her back. And he sends her home with that. And when she came to her mother-in-law in verse 16, she said, Naomi says, is that you, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, what Boaz had done. And she says, these six ephahs are measures of barley that he gave me. For he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And so Ruth comes home. Naomi's probably been up all night long. Maybe she's feeling bad, and I hope she is, feeling a little bit bad about the situations that she put Boaz and Ruth in. Or maybe she's simply just eager to hear out how my scheme played out. Are you married? Let me see the ring. Tell me the plans. Let's get started, you know, and the whole, the whole thing. But Ruth comes home, and she tells her all that the man had done for him. Did you notice that? Did you notice the con? of their conversation I think that's huge that even though they've been put in this difficult situation even though there may be a little strain there between her and and Naomi she told her all that the man had done for her Uh, young people listen this is a a wonderful principle here Ruth is able to come home and not withhold any information from her mother-in-law not, she's not she doesn't have to withhold anything from the night's events this is a good principle for our young people don't do anything that you can't tell your parents don't do anything that you can't tell your parents it'll save you a lot of grief it, it, it'll save you a lot of stress it'll save you a lot of worry But let me also say this, that if you do mess up or you're struggling with temptations, I hope that you feel like you can talk to your parents. Parents, I hope you've cultivated a relationship with your children that even when they've messed up or they're struggling and on the verge of maybe messing up, that that they feel like they can come and talk to you cuz listen young people your parents do understand we were once your age and we've experienced and we continue to experience these same struggles and temptations that you're experiencing and we can put our arms around you and we can walk with you through it without condemning you and without judging at least i hope you parents are cultivating that kind of relationship that doesn't condone their behavior, but has compassion on them. And it's an opportunity. It's a gospel opportunity. It's a a time, it's an encouraging opportunity to be able to walk alongside their kids and say, hey, listen, I get it. I understand. That's why we need Christ. That's why we need his help. We, We can't do this alone. That's why he gave us his Holy Spirit. And so Ruth comes home. She's got this, you know, Big load of uh, barley flour on her back, and do you think maybe there was? A... Remember, he said, "Make sure that you don't go home empty-handed to your mother-in-law." In other words, there was a message that he wanted to convey to Naomi. It wasn't just about, "Here's a load of flour. Here's your engagement ring." But there's something I want Naomi to, to get out of this. And what, what message do you think that he meant for that gift to convey to Naomi? I think it was simply this. He, he wanted Naomi to hear this, that, that I understand the need that you have for Ruth to be married, for provision and protection, for her security. And Naomi, listen, I get it. I get the panic. I know the barley season, the, har- the, wheat, the harvest season's just about over, and she may have to go glean in other people's fields, and I, I get all that, but I don't approve of the way you've gone about doing this. And this load of barley here is a message to you to trust that God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. You don't have to scheme. You don't have to plot. You don't have to manipulate. But if you wait on God, he'll take care of things. Do you think she got the message? I think she did. Verse 18, then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day do you see that naomi seems to be settled very different from the beginning of the chapter oh ruth you got to bathe you got to put your perfume on you got to get your best garment we got get security for you but not now she's quiet no more schemes no more getting ahead of god even through the rest of the book and she tells ruth you just rest don't fret boaz has promised to take care of this matter he's a man of his word and I trust him for that. And Boaz and Ruth in this chapter, they stand in great contrast to Naomi and the culture that they lived in. Na- Naomi, I think you could say uh, accurately that Naomi is a picture of Israel at that time. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. Scheming, taking matters in their own hands. A lack of faith in God, a lack of trust in God. Uh, angry with the Lord, you know, she was bitter with God about things not turning out the way that she wanted. She took matters into her own hands. And Boaz and Ruth are a picture of what God intended for his covenant people. People like you and I. A people graciously saved by God. A people who are trusting God and moment by moment, day by day, seeking to please God. Let me say this last thing to our young men and our young women. Um, There's nothing wrong with desiring a mate to spend the rest of your life with. I think unless you've been given the gift of singleness, of celibacy, and you're really content in that, that's God's desire for all of us. And there's nothing wrong with wanting that. It's not sinful to want to be uh, you know, uh, to be married, and, and uh, that's, I think it's pleasing to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with desiring to, to be with a mate, to spend the rest of your life with, to experience the, the joys and the blessings that God has for us. But the thing you learn from chapter 3 is this don't take matters well the thing you learn from the whole book up to this point is don't take matters into your own hands trust the lord rest in him to bring it about in his time don't scheme don't manipulate in the meantime you put your energy into getting to know the lord better cultivating a relationship with him cultivating godly friendships uh, developing godly character let me, let me close with this psalm here. Psalm seven thirty-seven verse 3 says, and I think this is really the big message of Ruth chapter 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. That was the message to Naomi. Naomi, all your scheming, all your plotting, all your fretting, all your worrying, all these things taking matters into your own hands. We, we need to learn this that our God is trustworthy, that God's timing is perfect in everything. Uh, you know, uh, in his wisdom, in his wisdom, he's plans, he plans everything for our good. Everything. And, and there is never a good reason to run ahead of God. There is never a good reason to take matters in your own hands. When you think that God is not acting fast enough, listen, it's not God. It's you and you're impatient. I'm impatient. And the thing to do is to go back and to saturate ourselves with the gospel and the word. Listen, let me tell you this. The last thing I'll say. Really, I mean it. (laughs) You hear me say this all the time. What is our greatest need? What's, our, what's man's greatest need? Salvation. salvation. So listen, if we can trust Christ with our greatest need, which is salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, eternal life, restored fellowship with Him, if we can trust Him with our greatest need, church, listen, can we not trust Him with all of our other needs, whatever they may be, a spouse, a job, finances, help with our children, whatever, whatever the situation may be, if we can trust Him with our greatest need, certainly then we can trust Him with our lesser needs. Let's stand and go out. Father, Father, that certainly is our prayer, Lord, today, that we would delight ourselves in You, that we would, Lord, just delight ourselves in knowing You, living for You, And that, Lord, as we do that, that you'll give us the desires of our heart. Lord, we want to be people that commit our way to you, and we trust in you. And that, Lord, that we are people that are marked by resting in you and waiting patiently for you to bring about things in your time. God, please forgive us when we get ahead of you. Forgive us, Lord, of our impatience, taking matters into our own hands. Father, forgive us for doing what's like everyone else and what's right in their own eyes. We want to be people that please you, that wait on you and trust you. Lord, may you work that in us, Lord, by your spirit we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Read ahead, chapter 4. We'll begin it next week.